Hello there, welcome back to Temporary Fandoms again. Um, still with us in the pod, myself and Nick, we've got Zoe. Hey, Zoe. Hiya. And we've got Joe. Hey, Joe. Hello. And you have been listening to the early stages of the 90s fall. So in the last pod, um, Bricks left at the end of the 80s. She brought a, a different sound to the late 80s fall. And we are coming in straight away with Sing Harpy. Zoe, is this a yes. not too subtle reference to the breakup, do you think? Well, of course it is. I, I mean, Marky Smith, I think, is one of those artists who always says what's on his mind. So it would be, it would, you know, it would be silly to think that this wouldn't come through on this album. It is the album that they made after Bricks left or divorced him and also his dad died the year before so I would say that's why lyrically you might get hint of these kind of things mm -hmm. I mean I remember reading an interview with him at the time basically sort of like styling it out going oh yeah she's gone off with Nigel Kennedy he can have her she's mm -hmm. a nightmare you know that kind of thing but then probably the truth comes mm -hmm. out via the music which is you know that life is a little bit more complex than that yeah yeah. There's definitely some introspective moments on that album. Yeah. You can sort of see into his soul and how he really feels. Is that something that he does throughout his career? I mean, there are some songs that are obviously uh, narrative driven uh, on in the Falls canon. And are there more moments of soul searching? It's something we, we touched unfiltered Marky Smith. I think we touched on it in the last episode, the idea that he claimed that he was always writing in character and that his songs were mm -hmm. about himself. And yet you've got albums like this where most of the album feels autobiographical. Uh, yeah. And any claim that he's not writing about himself sounds like, frankly, bullshit. I, I think there's moments, isn't there, where the mask suddenly slips. And it's like on Bill is Dead on this record where he starts singing about him having crow's feet, that he went to a bar and just got too pissed the night before. Um, and those moments, especially on the 90s fall albums, um, I mean... Um, I think it's shift work, isn't it, with Edinburgh Man? That's different for Mark, really. And he does a, a, later on when I talk about um, one of my records, he does a love letter, which is just you wouldn't expect it from Mark, but there it is. Yeah, but you can you can trace that stuff back all the way to this nation's saving grace, like on the um, I think it's yeah the last track on that, we, uh, one, the one I was saying with the, with the stupid title, but actually has a really poignant chorus. You know, every day we've got to die some that one. So, you know, that had been there for some time. So this is this is 1990s Extra K. Um, some say it's the Bricks Breakup album. Yeah, it's the Bricks Breakup album. They're on the major labels. Fontana, is it Zoe now? Yeah, I think Fontana is like a, a sort of an offshoot of the, the, the bigger conglomerate. But I guess the, the most important thing is that they had lots of resources so they had like a good studio they had they could pretty much do what they wanted they had time they could get session musicians in they had money so they could spend and they money got flutes. time they got flutes in. they got <laughs> flute you go on about the flute but i love the oboe the oboe is what gets it for me the oboe is nice anyway so i think they were chasing a hit i think they yeah, really were yeah, definitely according to steve hanley right yeah i mean they, that's, they wanted to that's what the title of the book he wrote is about like, the big midweek was basically about uh the idea that Whenever they release a single, all the full fans would go out and buy it straight away and they'd have really, really good initial results. So it would always look like this was the one. And then by the weekend, when the, the charts were released, they'd just dropped out of the charts again. 
So they never quite had that hit, despite this really big yeah. initial sales they got every single time they released a single in the 80s. Well, even going back to, uh, Joe mentioned Billy's, Billy's Dead, but this was the first time they actually topped the John Peel Festive 50. Yeah, that was a surprise. Which that, when I heard is that. odd, considering they've been in it yeah. throughout. Yeah. I, I, think after, I think when John Peel died and they continued with the Festive 50 a little bit, I think they there was a sort of another full track that got in maybe. But yeah, drawing John Peel... Um, and that, that was a track that when the sound has changed for me, um, this is the sound that there's a bit of baggy, there's a bit of wazzy. Um, obviously that's happening at the time around them. The bit is dead. Sounds like the Sundays with this jangly, jangly, happy Sunday, Sunday afternoon pop. Um, yeah, I think actually with Bill is dead, I think that the band were trying to do a Smith's piss take and then, uh, Marky Smith came along and, and was going to do something disparaging possibly but then he realised it was quite a good tune and so he did something a bit more uh, I don't know poignant melancholy and that really comes across and I think he's quite defiant he's always defiant isn't he even when yeah, he's being yeah. really introspective he's like fuck you yeah, yeah. And, and and that comes out in the lyrics these are the greatest times of my life when they're clearly not <laughs> you know so yeah 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 but again, that feels like a callback. Is it to the classical? I've never felt better in my life. You've kind of got that refrain. And um, one of the things I think I loved about The Fall at that time, you know, because um, I couldn't get to The Fall until a bit later, but this would have been one of the first albums I heard, was that kind of uh, really beautiful melancholy that they do so well around this period where you've got songs where, you know, he's singing about being happy where he clearly isn't. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I, and, you, and you, you mentioned the word songs as well. Is this this and moving up when we do move on to the next album? This is when songs start properly turning up. You know, um, song structures, bridges, choruses. There's still some repetition, but the driving post-punk repeat, 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 repeat for four minutes does seem to change a little bit, right? A little bit. There's still a bit of everything in there. You've got your repetition, repetition, repetition. You've got your covers. Um, then you've got the odd singles like from Metricate. You've got telephone thing which really digs into the Manchester scene at the time. You get more of a sort of, I won't say mixed bag, but it's better than that, really. And like you say, the song's coming through. Well, maybe this is also the time when The Fall started doing a lot more covers. You know, earlier on, there were covers weren't a part of The Fall, and yet from here on in, pretty much every album has got a cover on it, if not several. There's, there's one on every album, I think, from Ben Sinister to The Unutterable. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, on this, I mean, I didn't know for years that Popcorn Double Feature was a full song. Sorry, was not a full song, I should say. It was yeah, a by the was searches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and th- th- there's a great tradition, particularly with alternative indie rock, indie, alternative rock, however you want to define bands, um, of doing cover versions and bringing them to a, a non-mainstream sort of thing. Like, I don't know, I'm going to reference... Other early 90s bands at the time, Carter, The Unstoppable Sex Machine. Every single song that came out, there was a, a cover on the B-side. And they went from Pet Shop Boys to Shampoo. They were going going through their canon. Um, okay, we've, we've mentioned it already. So let's move on to to shift work. We've gone 1990, 1991. Um, again, this is the wazziest, baggiest early 90s album cover you're ever going to see um nick it's by who's that friend it's uh, by pascal legras who would do quite a few fall covers so i think this is his first one but he also did the cover for uh, code selfish and i think a couple of others later on and this is the album that for this this got to about number 17 in the chart album charts the highest since maybe the mid 80s zoe 
Is this a is this a, a, a tour de force for them, or are they? I mean, what's happening with them at the moment? Okay, well, I I like this album. Um, I know a lot of people really don't like it, and I think the reason why I like it is because it is quite varied. It isn't just all like sometimes the fall get into this thing where they they go right, we're going to do an album, and then it's all going to sound like this. Um, and then there's a couple of tracks, but overall there's there's a certain vibe, and that comes in later in the '90s, I think, where there's a couple of albums I almost find are a little bit indistinguishable from each other. But with this one. I feel like there's lots of variety there and I really like it. But I can really understand why people don't because you don't really know what you're getting. You'll get two tracks and you'll think, oh, okay, it's this version of the four. And then two songs later, you go, oh, okay, they're doing this now. But that's what I like about it. So it just depends. Um, what What is this version of the four? Has this version of the four become a thing yet? Well, well you've touched I mean, the lineup's still basically the same. But even sound-wise, I mean... There are definitely certain. There's eight. There's early eighties four. That sounds like early eighties. There's bricks period four. Has this Fontana three albums? Is this a period? Is there a sound that only belongs to this? It's definitely very nineties. It's got that sound over those three records. Yeah. Line up slightly different because Brammer's gone. Yeah. And Schofield's been sacked. It's more people coming and going, but you've still got the same core. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. You still got. Why did Brammer leave? Brammer was back for what? Yeah, a week? so Brammer was back for he extra cake. He and was shagging. He got fired along with Marsha Schofield. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> so in the fall, you're only allowed to have a relationship with Marky e. Smith. Um, so anyone else in the band having relationships with each other, that was out. So how Scanlon and Hanley kept their relationship a secret all those years, I don't know. This is a little culture. <laughs> yeah, very much you know, so. I think so. I mean, it's, it's quite weird, I, isn't it? I mean, I guess he he does. I mean, he does like his shadow casts across the group. I mean, obviously, he's he's the only one who's who, from start to finish of the Fool's career. But there is an element of idol worship, idolatry, cult worship. Um, why do people join a band that they then write about being a horrible yet beautiful experience? Um, what is it he had to get to inspire people to do this? I mean, I'd have walked away, but I, you know, I, I'm bit spiky like that <laughs> Zoe, well, he's, when, he's what, a, would... well i think he's a really strong leader it's like when someone has such confidence and such like belief in themselves and their talent that's a really attractive thing i mean i wasn't going to talk about this but actually i was in a band with somebody who was a bit like this and when i read steve hanley's uh, memoir it was really emotional because it's like I know this I've lived this obviously I'm not comparing myself in any way to like a member of the four it's my shitty you know like garage band or whatever but I know what it's like to be in a band with someone like that and like you become invested in the music and especially if you do some great gigs you you don't want to give that up because you're in a in a band with a twat right it becomes like a yeah a kind of, <laughs> it becomes That's like a great a name for an autobiography <laughs> <laughs> and I, I and what's really interesting is like I've actually had to sing songs that that person has written about me like you know how Marky e. Smith used to like yeah. write diss tracks and then the people would have to actually play them or sing backing vocals I've I've lived that so it was very affecting to me and I think that's one of the reasons why with the fall like I love them I but I love them from standing right back my arms folded kind of admiring them but I don't want to nestle up close to them do you know what I mean like they scare me a little Marky Smith scares me a little bit and yeah but I think that's a very potent combination and for some people like they're well up for it you know 
I think that scary thing to say, I think most of us at some point have known a Marquis Smith type. Mm. Um, I, I, I know I've got a Marquis Smith type from my old circle of friends in Wolverhampton and I still love him to pieces, but there's no way I could possibly explain him to anybody else. Um, he's bitter and he's a bit of a bully, but he's funny and he's charming. And, you know, there's, there is always that sort of character. And uh, Marky Smith is, that, is the sort of guy that would, I don't know, turn on me at eight o'clock in the morning and I've popped into Weatherspoons for breakfast. <laughs> I don't do that often, but I've done that. And, there's, guy, <laughs> and, and, there's, and there's some guy who's sitting there who just spots me and decides that I'm the one who's going to, he's going to unleash shit on. Yeah. It's not as scary as you might think, really. I think what it is, is that there's a real charisma about a personality like that who just says and does what they want. Like, we all want to be like that, don't we? So if you're kind of in a band with someone like that, even if your your personality is not that, you kind of get a piece of that. And so I can understand why people put up with it for so long. But also, I mean, if you look at the fandom, that's also very culty. It's not just the people within the band, it's the people who go to see the band who buy their records so we are kind of dealing with a, a cultish type thing which you know is is very attractive we're also we're also in a period where the singles are very very strong in the early 90s we've had a telephone thing on extricate and the single that went with um shift work was high tension line excellent really really good songs and because they're still putting them out then why not be on board very successful I think and I think that's it. I think there is there is a thing of of being with a band. I mean, I I, I would I storm off. I'm a flouncer. I'd have stormed off if this was me. But I, this for some reason this is now reminding me. Um, there was a band around uh, in a certain part of the West Midlands, early '90s, uh, a sort of soul revival band. And I had a friend who was working for them at the time. And I remember him saying that one of them had been having an affair with the other lead singers. Uh, wife or girlfriend, yet they were staying in the band, they were staying in the band, and it all came to head one day, we go, I'm changing the names mainly because I can't remember them, uh, Dave, why don't you take it to the bridge, and why don't you fuck off, and then just, <laughs> <laughs> and then just stormed off, and, then, and that was that, I mean, there has to be a breaking point at some point, yeah. um, okay, going back to what was happening around them at the time, uh, we've got Idiot Joy Showland, we've got a track deriding and um, being sarcastic about uh, the up-and-coming bands uh, in Manchester at the time, yet the musicians in the falls seem to be bringing in and adapting the sounds that were prevalent of the time. Was this a sort of Marky Smith diss track, or was he sort of, I guess they were saying in America, busting the balls of the the new young people on, on, on the block? Anybody? <laughs> Was was is there an irony of the band bringing in these sounds while he's simultaneously dissing the bands there's, that there's, are doing? There's these definitely sounds? some irony there, but then he always did that, though. He always did yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, as far as Marky Smith was concerned, everybody was ripping him off. That was always his thing. Yeah. And, okay. And um. Okay. So on this album, we we still got lots of jangly guitars. It's wazzy. It there's a lot of wah wah. Oh, if you're a new listener and you're going, what's wazzy? Uh, go back to Can. We discuss Waz a little bit. Um, but Wazzy is very early 90s. Not quite baggy, but it's like pornography. I can't, just, I can't tell you what it is, but I know it when I hear it. Um, <laughs> when you so, hear it. 
<laughs> yeah. Sort of squelchy <laughs> sound. I am going to edit that out. Oh, come um, on. So. You've got to leave that <laughs> um, I will say, I will say that I think Edinburgh Man on this album does sound a little bit phoned in. Really? Some people hold it up as a yeah, great track. A lot of people love it. For me. Yeah, some people love, I it. love it. Yeah, some people I really love it. Love it. Yeah. yeah, it's very introspective. I do. It's, I mean, this. I think this is the first Fall album I heard that had tracks I actively disliked on it. Um, so I like Shiftwork as a whole, but um, Talk a lot, oh, talk really? a lot of Wind I don't really like. It's the first one where I don't know the, the lyrics are just him railing at the TV. And, you know, later on, you've got a lot of that where he's just kind of, it's Marky e. Smith watching TV <laughs> and just shouting at the television program. Uh, you really? You're better than this, Mark. Come on. He's the old man who yells at the cloud. Nick, he's always done that. Do you know what? There was this time in the in the 90s where I was living in Australia and I was kind of unemployed for a period. <clears throat> and so I was watching a lot of TV and I was watching a Flintstones episode and the whole of Deadbeat Descendants is based on a Flintstones episode. <laughs> so I was, I was watching this episode going, oh my God, this is this is the lyrics are all about dead that's Deadbeat's deadbeat descendants and there's even a bit where like someone shouts out come back here you deadbeat descendants really and i was like oh my god so that's what marky smith has done <laughs> well, a lot yeah, yeah. it's just song... really obscure yeah but it's is that the song where deadbeat he goes descendants is that the song where the chorus is yabba dabba do is it that one <laughs> but it's like his, uh, uh, his obsession <laughs> with... terrible terrible joke <laughs> it's like his obsession with the it twilight zone no there's so many so many fall tracks yeah. that are named after Twilight Zone episodes, like Kick the Can, What You Need, and um, Time Enough at Last. It's just what he's watching on TV at the time. And when you get to yeah, Levity... Yeah, sometimes it's more subtle. <laughs> I guess that's the thing. Yeah. When it's just shouting at the TV weatherman, you're like, yeah. 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 Nah. Buy, one, one song, get, buy One, Get One Free was a great track. One song later <laughs> on where he's, he's talking about, oh... There's there's a new um, show coming out from the director of the X Files. Yeah, yeah, that's much later though, isn't it? I mean, yeah. And also on this one, yeah. uh, Book of Lies. Would you put that in a song? Oh, Book <laughs> of Lies, I wasn't a fan of either, and I think that's partly down to the Kenny Brady vocal on it. Um, I'm not a fan of full songs that have different vocalists on. What? That's not strictly true. When it's male vocalists, because I'm fine with Bricks, I'm fine with Elaney, but uh, I wasn't really a fan of the um, ooh, who's the guy Gavin Friday on. Uh, Wonderful and Frightening World. Having Friday, yeah. Off, yeah, um, and then on, on Shift Work, I feel got, exactly um, the same. you've got Kevin Brady singing songs, and, and there's a bit of you that thinks, no, piss off, I'm here for Marky e. Smith. And yet when it's a female vocalist, I'm fine. Uh, yeah. so there's probably some Carl stuff Burns I need to unpick well. there. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot to unpick. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'm going to move us on a little bit. Um, we've gone... Well, we, we, we've, we've gone through the early 90s. The Fall have obviously been touched by the sounds around them, but also Marky Smith probably claiming that he invented the sounds around them. Um, now I think we've got a massive change forward a little bit with, with Dave Bush joins the band for Code Selfish and we've got synths and keyboards and electronica suddenly coming in more than they ever were before. Um, Zoe, what influence would you think um, would you say that Dave Bush has the biggest influence on the band sound since, say, Bricks? Well, there's definitely influence, but I was just going to say, you and Darling were still only in the early 90s. That's how, like, how much output they have. We're only in 92. Yeah. Yeah, it's right? one a year. So we're still in the early 90s. Yeah. yeah. We're still here. We're still in the early 90s. And I mean, I think this is way more uh, influenced by the Manchester scene that you were talking about. But this is always going on. This has been going on behind them anyway. 
since what 89 so it does make sense that it would come through in a way but they're not doing it in the same way that the other sort of Manchester artists are doing it so it's always going to be it's always going to sound different because you've got Marky Smith all over the top of it this album is I think it's better than shift work because it's got a more coherent sound it like it sounds like an album but I'm one of those people that doesn't really like that 90s wazzy sound I mean, I like some of it, but I, I don't want to hear a whole album of it from the fall. And whenever they go back to that melancholy guitar-y stuff, that's where I go, oh, I like that. So I'm a bit, you know, Would you say a that bit that, vanilla. I mean, what is it? Is it Free Range? For me, Free Range was the song that sounds like 80s fall, but somebody's just bought them new instruments and they're trying to, and, and they're just redoing 80s fall with new stuff. It's one of my favorites, definitely yeah. Free Range. Well, I just want to say, this, this, was, this was the very first fall album I heard. And so I, I love it, but I think a lot of people have a soft spot for their first Fall album. And I've always found that that despite how close I am to this album, I never really hear people talking about Code Selfish very much, either as a favourite or as a not favourite. It's just there. And uh, I'd, I'd say I'd say there's two influences on this album really: techno music and the influence of Cold Cut, who collaborated with the Fall. That's true. Is that around the same time as this? Mm, yeah, saying that definitely is the techno-y influence, even if it's not mm. the sort of hardcore clubbing techno yeah uh maybe the sort of techno light of what i don't know that there's a little bit that sounded like the utah saints with marky e. smith singing over the top definitely of it. And I just it's a harsh sound i'd buy that <laughs> <laughs> oh you'd you'd buy anything from with a marky e. smith on it <laughs> yeah i can't argue with that unfortunately <laughs> um covers what are the covers i mean there's a hank williams yeah, just, one, right? just waiting that's the only one actually yeah mm. yeah um, was this one, how was this one received? I think it, I mean, it got good reviews in the music press, I think, at the time. Um, like I say, it was it was where I came in, and I think at that time, the four were kind of, I don't know if you could ever describe them as indie darlings, but, um, you know. They, they were on a lot of enemy covers and melody making yeah, covers. Yeah, absolutely, you know. Am I right in thinking that Free Range was their only top 40 single to be self-penned at this point? Because all the other ones were things like Mr. Pharmacist. Yeah. Covers Victoria. That sounds yeah. plausible. Yeah, right? I think you're right. It goes to my house. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. If we ever have a, a fall-based pub quiz, can we have that question? That's a real it's pub a good quiz fact, question. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> um, if anyone's got nothing, any, has anybody got anything more to say about code selfish? Before we... I think. Um, well, Dave, okay. I just want to. No. Sorry, I just want to mention. Time Dave enough at last is good. It's another Twilight Zone one. Yeah, that's it? my. I like that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I pick for the playlist because I like that. I like it when he goes a bit, you know, like melancholy and mm. and write songs Wistful about Mark. the telly. I love that. Yeah, wistful Mark. Birmingham School of Business School. But you've also got. That's you've also. One. You've also got Crew Filth. <laughs> which is uh, one of those kind of awful fall filler tracks where it's just them messing about. I guess sometimes works, but Crew Filth is probably not one of those. Okay. They get more um, common towards the end of the 90s, those uh, tracks. You get some albums, the, the whole album sounds a bit like that. <laughs> God, we, we asked, I keep, you, I'm going back to what Zoe just said, we're still in 1992. I know, I know. You, yeah. Are you going to make it? <laughs> it's great, well, isn't it? Let's see. Well, let's fly forward. Let's fly forward a whole year to 1993 with the infotainment scan. Um, first things first, 
this has possibly one of the great cover versions of all time. Um, I'm not talking about the Lee Perry one. Obviously, I'm talking about Lost in Music. Lost in Music is, this version it, of Lost in Music is brilliant. It's great because it's it's so unexpected of the fall. You know, all their other covers are by the Monks, Groundhogs, basically like Van de Graaff Generator, things that Mark listened to in the 70s. And all of a sudden, you've got Sister Sledge and it's brilliant. I, know, great. I, mean, I mean, I love, although there's a lot of great, Full garage covers, but when they do something totally off the wall, and the kind of all three covers on this album are kind of quite mm-hmm. unpredictable because it's going to Spain yeah. as well. Uh, yes, performed on New Faces in nineteen seventy six. I think he was taking the piss with that one a little bit, but it works. Yeah, but it works. It totally works. Um, okay, so obligatory lineup question: <laughs> Who's in? Who's out? I think this is the same as Code Selfish. Um, yeah, you still have Hanley, Ganlon. Wollstonecroft and Dave Bush. Yeah, same lineup. Okay, and did it was there any change or was it more of the same progression-wise? I mean, when you're releasing an album a year, I mean, it goes, okay, obviously people used to do it all the time. The Beatles would release one every Friday. Um, but now we're in a world where Radiohead will release something every seven years. Uh, and there's big weights. When you're releasing an album a year, is it just here's some more of the same I don't know. for a few albums? I, I don't know in terms of how it performed, um, but there, I think there were some potentially big singles on here, like Glam Racket. Um, this felt yeah. like a more commercial album than Code Selfish in a way. That's the one uh, that... Uh, and also, was this not one of the first ones? Was this released on Matador in the US? So it kind of started to get them a little bit more traction over there. I, I think this was the most successful fall album. You know, it got to number nine in the charts at uh, Infotainment Scan. I think uh, Infotainment Scan was a more uh, commercial-sounding record than Code Selfish because uh, apart from the covers that we've already talked about, you had big tracks like Glam Racket, which is widely perceived as a suede diss song, although Marky Smith denied it. I don't think his denials ever really meant much. Uh, but didn't Steve Hanley say that he thought it was about him or someone in the did. band? He, yeah, he did. Well, I think I think there was a lot of paranoia in the band by that point, and Steve Hanley mm. felt that quite a lot of the. I think it, the one that specifically bothered uh, Steve Hanley was the uh, the League of Bold Headed Gentlemen. I can't think which why. Is, which is also on <laughs> the <be> honest, yeah. <laughs> yeah, League of Bald Headed Gentlemen just sounds like uh, any kind of crowd that went to see the fall in the last ten years, and yeah, pretty much. That. <laughs> um, was Marky Smith just trolling everybody around him and everybody who bought his records and everybody who oh absolutely absolutely yeah. but I think yeah. if you were in the band once you started to get diss tracks about you you'd probably be worried that your days were numbered yes. yeah that you might be on because, the way out. because that, there was a history of that of him sort of dissing members of the band and then them not being unless in the band unless they were anymore. being the paranoia men in the cheap shit room well yeah exactly <laughs> so it was basically so basically, Marky Smith's um, strategy to getting people from the band was like some 18-year-old teenage boy who sort of starts being a bit rude to his girlfriend, hoping she'll break up with him rather than actually having the balls to do it himself. I don't know. I don't think it was like that. I don't think he really wanted Hanley and Scanlon to leave. I think they just reached a breaking point eventually. Um, you know... I think he would just he just liked to needle people, and eventually, for some people, got too much. The only reason Scanlon and Hanley were in the band so long, I think, is because they were, they kept their heads down and got on with the job, and they liked having the job, so they just put up with it. He regretted, didn't he, when he sacked Scanlon? Scanlon, yeah, he did. But we're getting we're getting we're getting ahead of ourselves there. We are again. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Calm down, Joe. Calm down. But also, isn't isn't it isn't it a bit like that James Brown thing when you've got like a really like a 
tyrannical uh, maestro that pushes you on to like bigger and better things. Wasn't didn't he kind of take that role on though with the musicians, even though he couldn't play anything himself? He would yeah. be like, "It's got to be better. You're shit. You're shit." And that kind yes. of that energy of like telling people that you know you've got to do better and and keeping everyone on their toes because he could get sacked. Mm. That that does something yeah, to the music and to the sound. I mean, also, but also creates a, an atmosphere of chaos, which probably will explode in a couple of years, right? I wonder yeah. if anyone ever told him that he was shit on the violin. No, no. I think there's some comments where uh, Steve Hanley mentions about like the, the fear when he got his violin out in the studio. <laughs> They'd be like, "Oh no." Um, <laughs> I wouldn't tell. I wouldn't tell an angry, bitter, slightly petty man whose wife left him for a violinist that he's bad at the violin. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it was the same with uh, David Bowie and the saxophone. That yes. the, you know, the rest of the yeah. musicians would all be wincing as soon as he got the saxophone out. It's like, oh no, Dave, put it away. <laughs> yeah. Captain Beefheart um, as well. Okay, before we move on, before we move on, can I just say I really like this one? Infotainment scan. Me too, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think I it's think really one of my favourites. Of the nineties, it's, it's, it's not... catchy. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. catchy throughout. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's poppy full. It, it's a peak for the nineties, along with Extricate and Levitate for me. I think for me, what was interesting when I was listening to this is a lot of bands that came through the eighties, particularly post punk stuff. Like I was thinking of Big Audio Dynamite as an example. Um, early night, a lot of them came out into the nineties, saw what was around them, tried to do something, and it was fucking awful, and they didn't get it. Yeah, they sort of turned up and went, oh, I can do this. No, you you really, really can't. Whereas The Fall, whether you like them or not, they came through the 80s and into the 90s with the same level of dignity and sound and whatnot. With panache. Yeah, yeah. And there were people who got into them during the 90s based on their 90s sound. I, I got into them because of what they were doing in the 90s. I found the stuff they were doing in the 80s later. So it, it was good enough. You know, okay. Code Selfish was good enough to hook me in. Even if I'd probably say I prefer the 80s form. Um, I just, before we move on, I just want to talk about I'm Going to Spain because I think it's really amazing. Like, you know, he's a non-singer, right? So there's no technicality. Um, there's no, like, melody, basically. He can, he can just about, like, keep a melody. But I'm going to be really pretentious here. And what I think it does is that because you're you're when you listen to him, you're not thinking about technicality or or tunefulness or even being in tune. What it does is it allows like the feeling to come through because the focus you can just focus on the words and the emotion. You're not ever thinking about like <laughs> a tune because he can't do it. But I think it does a really amazing thing. It sounds like a man making up a song as he goes along in the shower, doesn't it? I'm going to Spain. Yeah, but but that does a thing. It's really poignant. There's three covers on this album, isn't there? But also, I'd say that League of Bald Headed Man, it's just, it's Misty Mountain Hot by Led Zeppelin. Has anyone noticed that? <laughs> Pretty much, <I> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he does that kind of lifting and borrowing quite a lot, and he does that um, yeah. even more in the 90s, I'd say. But they so get away with that. They get away with it because, because Marquis Smith is such a linchpin, and he totally, um, you, you can't, hear a record with Marky Smith on it and not know it's Marky Smith. There's just no way you can. So because he is that constant, even though he's so chaotic, he's an absolute constant throughout from the beginning of the fall to the end. And it gives the musicians freedom 
to do whatever they want. They can do anything and even steal. So I just think it's kind of okay. fascinating. I'm, I'm fascinated by the fall. Um, so we're going to move on to... Um... It's stuck in my head now. I wrote down MCR and I made a joke about my chemical romance and I was just about to say it again. Middle class revolt. Well, what it was was because I was pointing out to you and that, you know, I think some people tend to overthink the fall and try to look for clues and messages in the songs. And one of the things with middle class revolt was the initials MCR, which is often an abbreviation of Manchester. Manchester, yeah. And this was seen as his album about Manchester because you've got lots of those tracks with lyrics like, you know, I'm city born and bred, too many car fumes in my head and stuff like that. It feels very much about being from Manchester, this album. But now I have My Chemical Romance <laughs> stuck in my head. That's just so we're moving, on to, we're moving on to 1994's My Chemical Romance. Um, it's a bit of a pop album, right? I mean, there's electronica, there's tribal drums going through that. There's a lot of things going on, but he's carrying on the early 90s pop. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the tribal drums because at this point, Carl's back in the band. So you've got two drummers again for the first time. For, for a while, but you've also got Dave Bush doing the electronic stuff. So there's kind of electronic rhythms and two drummers. I don't know what, what other bands did that. It's just... First time since uh, 1985, I think, with Carl Burns. Yeah, yeah. Which is the biggest lineup so far? Which which album had the well, most? most? Which four Ooh. lineup was the biggest lineup? That's a good question. Probably Bricks area because you'd have had two guitarists then. Um, don't know. Okay. Um, so we were talking about how he steals and they steal from other bands and put it, make, put their own stamp on it. I was listening to Hey Student and I suddenly went, oh, this is where Half Man, Half Biscuit got the tune to a Joy Division oven glove from because it, <laughs> it literally lifted. And, it, and I, I got the, had the two going on in my head at the time. And then as I was listening to the song, I thought, oh, is this one of those songs that somebody does... Um, slagging off or criticizing certain types of people and then they adopt as their own missing what it was about in the first place uh, i'm thinking uh born slippy as an example you know or, or tub thumping by uh chumba wumba songs criticizing groups who then go oh there's a catchy bit about me uh and then they they start singing along do you think hey student was the falls version he'd already done um hey fascists hadn't he yeah yeah, so hey, this this tune was apparently based on an earlier fall tune called "Hey Fascist," which wasn't on any albums, and I don't think I don't think I've ever heard that. But it is sort of based on an old fall tune. I'd like to think that um, students taking on "Hey Student" about them is probably slightly better uh, when you look back on the history of a band as a bunch of fascists uh, going, "Yeah, Marky Smith wrote a song about <laughs> who makes the Nazis." <laughs> I'm just thinking with this this being 1994. It was round about the same time as Paul Calf came out and he was always ranting about students. I wonder if that was an influence on him. Was it on the telly? It was on <laughs> yeah. the telly at the time. So then, yes. yeah, he was probably watching Paul yeah. Calf. Yeah, probably. Oh, so so which album is the song about going for gold? Uh, classic <laughs> early <laughs> quiz show on. Um, so this was, wait, this was 94, yeah. right? Yeah. This, so this was also the same year that he got into the top, the festive top 50 again with Inspiral Carpets. Mm, yeah, I want you. Yeah. Yeah, I want you. So th that, that was a, so that was a roundabout. Obviously he was being accepted and, or he was willing to be accepted. The only, the only good by thing. By bands. The only good thing Inspiral Carpets ever did, I would say. Oh, I disagree with that. Oh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Don't open a can of worms here. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. Open a can of worms. <laughs> Although we can't, we haven't got time to fit in an entire Inspiral Carpets yeah. episode right now. But you can come back and talk about it another time. 
Um, okay, so we've, we've got to Middle Class Revolt. It's a pop album. We're, we're moving into the mid-90s. Um, they have a now a 90s sound. Um, you can't even describe them as, as punk or post-punk anymore. They are the fall in the 90s. Um, we're going to probably use this as a perfect time to wrap up this episode and the same cast, group, uh, bunch of people, uh, Zoe and Joe, basically. We'll be back <laughs> in the next episode episode where we will continue um looking at the fall through the 90s um it hopefully you won't notice there were any technical issues there seems to be technical issues all the time but yeah i think we're getting there um nick thank you very much cheers joe thank you very much thank you zoe thank you very much thank you and we will see everybody next time bye-bye A massive thank you to our guests for episode 17, or the full part 3, as we've confusingly taken to calling it. They were Zoe von Hess, who joined us from Hong Kong, and Joe Mitchell, all the way from the glorious north of England. And, as always, thank you to my incredulous co-host Ewan for chairing the chat and wrestling with the resulting files. And to Jonathan Fisher for writing our theme tune. Links to his other work and the artists responsible for other incidental music can be found in the notes for the show. We'll be back soon with part four of The Fall, and until then, I'm Nick Hilditch, and how dare you assume I want to parlay view with you, you Gretchen Franklin nosy matron thing.